Have you ever thought about why we sing? Why do we sing? You know, Christians are known for having a singing faith, but why do we do that? I mean, think about the early church, right? Think about the early church and how, you know, why is it that they didn't just decide to come together for maybe some, some Bible study, some prayer, and then call it a day? You know, you got to think, surely when they're, when they're in, a, in a house together, like the first church, it'd be kind of awkward when they're like, all right, let's, let's start singing. They didn't have a, a music leader. They didn't have any instruments. They just started singing. Like That, that had to be kind of awkward. But I want you to know that I've, I've actually been keeping a secret from you guys. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm actually really good at singing. So good, so good that I actually had a chance to lead worship with Elevation Worship. Take a look. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of you out there, mo most of you probably know who Elevation Worship is, but uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, I also had a chance to sing with the Gaithers. <laughs> so, when you think about it, when you think about it, okay, you can, you, can, you can go back. When you think about it, we sing as a response to our lives. Like, singing is an overflow of what's happening in our heart. For example, when, when we're grieving, when something tragic has happened to us, a lot of times we find ourselves resonating with songs that, that come because they give words to the grief that we feel. Likewise, when we're overjoyed when something really good is happening or when we're just happy we sing in response to that like we just can't help it it just kind of bubbles out and I think when it comes to Christ we're called to sing as Christians as an expression of the joy over what Christ has done for us that's why we sing we sing as a response to joy. The Bible calls us to sing joyfully to God because of His goodness. Because of all that He's done for us. And listen, if we were to look at you in the way that you sing, I'm going to get really personal with this. If we were to look at the way that you sing when we come together in corporate worship, would people come away and say, you know, that person is really rejoicing in the Lord. Or they come away saying, you know what, if that's the Jesus they have, I don't want to have anything to do with that. If we sing in response to joy, if our worship is a response to, to joy, then our singing should be joyous. Shouldn't sound good. Okay? We were singing at camp like, I was hoping nobody could, could hear me sing because like, yeah, there were a few times where my voice started cracking and I was going a little, you know, it, it sounded bad, but it's a response to joy. And in Philippians 3, where we're going to be this morning, Paul calls the Philippian church to rejoice in Christ, to pursue joy in Him. He reminds them that their salvation is not based on their performance. And he reminds them, he shows them that their joy comes from treasuring Christ above all things. And I think this is a message that's not just for the Philippian church, it's a message for us today. We should rejoice in Christ. 
because he saved us, because he's become our supreme treasure. So let's go to the text and read Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, the, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I want you to hear what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, as we approach Your Word that You inspired the Apostle Paul to write, I pray, Lord, that we ourselves would be challenged, that we wouldn't just want the Philippian church to hear a message a couple thousand years ago, but that we ourselves would be challenged to rejoice in the way that He calls us to, and that You call us to. Lord, I pray that our faith would not just be a dead, a dull faith that we just cling to, that we go through the motions, that we just show up for worship for. I pray that our faith would be an active, vibrant, joyous faith. A faith that when outsiders look in, they see the joy that we have in Christ, that it's very evident. And Lord, as we are pursuing that joy, I pray that we would realize where that joy comes from. That it doesn't come from our performance. That it doesn't come from our uh, religiousness. But that it comes from us simply clinging to You. It comes from Your grace as a gift. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text has three commands in it that Paul is really driving home. And the first one is to pursue joy in Christ. This is the big idea. Like This is what he's calling us to. In fact, in chapter 4, he'll come back to this and tell them once again to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I tell you, rejoice. He's telling them to find their joy in Christ. And that word that he says to rejoice means to be in a state of happiness or well-being. To be in a state of happiness or well-being. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If rejoicing means to be in a state of well-being, let me, just, let me just throw this out there. Christ has caused us to dwell in the utmost state of well-being. We as Christians realize that Christ has caused us to have this happiness and well-being. He brought us from death to life. 
He solved the greatest problem that we had. When we were going our own way, He pursued us. We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to rejoice. And as Christians, Jesus brings us deep abiding joy no matter what circumstances we face. So Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's given us every reason we need to rejoice. We don't have to manufacture this joy. We don't have to go search for it. It's, it's there for us in Christ. And I love what he says at the end of verse 1. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. So to write this to you, no trouble to me. But I love what he says next. It is what? Safe for you. It is safe for you. Paul knows that for this church that he's writing to, the safest place for them to be is for them to be in a place of joy in the Lord. To be in a place of joy in the Lord. That's why Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 37.4 Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's a safe place to be. God calls His people over and over to be in that state of rejoicing. This is not something that's just optional. This is not something that's, that's set aside for a select few group of Christians that are just happy people anyway. This is somewhere where He wants every believer to be. That's why George Muller said this, he, saw, he said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. What if we woke up every morning with that thought? Man, that the biggest duty that I have for today, the best thing that I can have to start my day is not all these things that we normally fill it with, but it's to, to have myself happy in the Lord. He goes on to, to say, the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul in a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said, Joy in the Lord will guard you from the empty pleasures the tempter uses to bait his hooks. Paul says, this is safe for you. Rejoicing in the Lord is no trouble to me. It's safe for you because the safest place we can be as Christians is when our joy, our contentment, our happiness is in Him. It guards us against error. It guards us against sin. The empty pleasures that Satan uses to lure us and entice us when we're rejoicing in Christ, when our joy is in Him, when we're treasuring Him, those things don't mean anything to us. The things that normally get us when our joy is in the Lord, when we are just overcome with contentment and happiness in the Lord, we won't be lured and enticed by those things as easily. It's safe for us. Our spiritual health is based on how well we do this. You're not going to find a Christian 
who is doing really well in their walk with the Lord who is not joyful. You're not going to find it. Our spiritual health is based on how well we rejoice in the Lord. And so this is not a light issue. This is of the utmost importance. We often think that when we come together and worship, well, it doesn't really matter if I sing. It doesn't really matter if I'm apathetic. It really doesn't matter if I'm numb. But the reality is, it is of the utmost importance. Not because singing somehow magically does something. Not because, you know, this outward appearance of of happiness. It's because when we are rejoicing in Christ, when we have our joy rooted in Him, there's something going on deep in our heart when we are content in Him. And so, we don't need to just put this on the shelf and say, well, every once in a while when I just happen to be happy, that's when I'll find my joy in the Lord. It's something that we need to pursue every day. But if you're like me, what do you do if you find that your joy and happiness in Christ is replaced by apathy and numbness? Right? It's good to talk about joy in Christ and it's good to talk about rejoicing in Christ, but what do you do when you wake up in the morning and you feel dead? What do you do when you wake up and your affections for Christ are just not going anywhere? What do you do when when that happens? And the answer that I have for you is to realize that when God commands us to rejoice in Him, He actually gives us what we need to do that. And my friends, that is the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just say, hey, I want you to just go and flip the switch of joy because we don't work that way. We're not wired that way. But what God does is He wants us to come to Him and say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Today, I feel numb. Today, I feel just dead on the inside. And Lord, I need You to move me. Man, if we were in that place, we would find that As fickle as we are, as fickle as we are, we would find that we have more joy than we've ever had before. We'll find that God answers those prayers. And so we need to beg, we need to pray that God would stir our affections, that He would give us joy. The second thing that Paul commands us, he doesn't just stop and say rejoice in the Lord. But he moves on to tell us to don't rely on your performance. Don't rely on your performance. Look at what he says in verse 2. Beware. Beware. Look out. There is something that can take away that joy. There is something that can hinder you in your joy in Christ. There is something that can, that can grind your spiritual walk to a halt. And what does he say that it is? What does he say look out for? What does he say to beware of? He says, look out, verse 2, for the dogs. Man, I just want you to know, that's an insult right there. Like, we don't really see it. I mean, it's kind of still an insult now, but back then, it was really an insult, him calling these these guys dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? There was a group of people that came into the church and this was what they were telling the people. They were saying, look, if you want to be a good Christian, 
what you need to do is you need to have an outward sign called circumcision. And that is what will make you a Christian. You can't be a Christian without that one thing, without this outward sign. So basically what they were doing is they were saying, it's not enough just to have Jesus, but you've got to have Jesus plus keeping this particular law. Jesus plus this other thing. Jesus plus performance. These folks were all concerned about the outside. They were all concerned about the outward appearance. And what Paul is getting at here is saying, watch out for these guys because that is not what the Christian faith is about. The Christian faith is not about some kind of outward sign. It's not about our performance. Notice what he says in verse 3. He reminds the Philippian church. He says, we are the circumcision. We are the people of God. Whether or not you know, there were some Jews, there were some Gentiles, wherever they were, whatever outward sign they had, whatever performance that they've had, he says, hey, no, we are the people of God. Not because we have performed. And notice he says two things about the people there in, at the end of verse 3. He says God's people are marked by two things. Number one, they're marked by worship by the Spirit of God. Our faith-filled worship is true worship. Not driven by performance, not driven by self-righteousness, but driven by the Spirit, driven by the Gospel. And the second thing he says is that we who are God's people glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. That summarizes it right there. If we're God's people, we're God's people not because we've earned our way in. And I want you to hear that today because if you're not a Christian or if you're you're, you're skeptical or if you're, you're not really sure where you are, what we hold out to you today is not man, come to church and pull your life together. It's not man, come to come to church, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Actually, what we hold out to you is even on your best day, You don't measure up to God. You don't measure up to the standard that He holds out. And so what we hold out to you is not try harder, but we actually hold out to you. Go cling to the One who died in your place. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's telling the Philippian church, watch out for the people who come and make it all about performance. How can performance steal your joy? How can performance take away your rejoicing? Well, it's very simple. If it's all about my performance, it's not going to take me very long to mess up, is it? If it's it's all up to you, it's not going to take you very long to sin. It's not going to take you very long to fall. And when you do that, and all of your joy is in your performance, and all of your hope is in your performance, you're not going to have any hope. You're not going to have any joy. Your faith is going to be a roller coaster ride depending on how well you have been doing with the Lord lately. But instead, our joy, our hope, our faith is not in our performance. It is in what Jesus has done. So that means, church, listen, hear me and hear me well. That means that even when we sin, even when we fail, we can still have joy. Watch out for these people, Paul says. 
He takes it a step further. If anybody could have rejoiced in their performance, it was the Apostle Paul. Look at his resume in verse 4. I mean, what an incredible resume of righteousness. Look at what he says. Though I, have, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'll raise your bet. You think you're good because you've been circumcised? You think you're good because you're keeping parts of the law? Let me raise your bet. I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. If ever there was somebody who was Jewish, who was Hebrew, it was the Apostle Paul. As to the law, a Pharisee. He was part of, of, the, of the group that strove to keep the law. That was their striving. And then they did it to a fault. They kept the law. They took the law seriously. And Paul's saying, I was one of them. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, as to how passionate Paul was, he did the most zealous thing you could do. He went and persecuted his enemy. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying as a, as a Christian, he doesn't boast in his good things that he's done. He doesn't boast in his performance, although he probably could. I wonder what our spiritual resume would have on it. Our resume might say morally pure. Our resume might say faithful in church attendance. Man, I come to Sunday school, I come on Sunday morning, I come on Sunday night, and I even come on Wednesday night. What is the deal? I'm here when the doors are open. I don't drink, I don't gamble, I don't party, I don't do drugs. I don't cuss. I don't hang out with the wrong people. I don't do all these things. But here's the reality. We can do all of the spiritual activities right. We can check all of the boxes and at the end of the day, that does not amount to a hill of beans with our standing before God. Because even on our best day, even when we've got our stuff together, even when we had a quiet time every day for the last week, guess what? We haven't earned any brownie points with God because we even fall short even when we have it together. It's not about our performance. It's about His grace. And so we don't boast in our works. We boast in what Christ is doing in us. We don't say, look at us, look at me, look at how I've got it together. We say, actually, look at the One who is transforming me. A lot of times the church it gets a bad rap because people look at the church and they're like, you know, the church is just full of, it's like a museum for the righteous. It's where people go to put their good works on display and I think that's, that's not what the church is. It's not a place where we can go and see how good we are, how righteous we are, but rather the church is a place where we come and we put the emphasis on how sick we are and we put the emphasis on the great physician who has healed us. So it's not based on our performance. Notice the third thing he says. The third command he gives us. Treasure Christ above all else. Paul pivots. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss. Indeed, he says, I count 
everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's saying, all of these good performance things that I have, they're nothing. Why? Because I treasure Christ. I know Him. What does it look like to treasure Christ? Paul shows us. It's to experience Christ in such a way that everything else looks like loss in comparison. I mean, when Christ is our treasure, when we really value Him the way that we should value Him, even our best things that we treasure the most pale in comparison. That means that in our, in our lives, money and, and, and property and things like that are loss compared to Jesus. That means that our, our appearance, our looks, are loss compared to Jesus. That means that our friends, our family, loss when you compare it to Jesus. Our success, our jobs, our career, loss. As good as it is, we count it like it's loss when you compare it to Jesus. Our status, our education, all of these things, they're nothing by comparison to Him. So how do we treasure Christ above all things? How do we treasure Christ in these things? He's not saying go get rid of all your money, go disown all your family, go quit your jobs. He's not saying do that. What He's calling us to is to treasure Christ in these things. Each of these things, each of the gifts God gives us, they're given to us so that we can use them in such a way that shows that they are not our treasure, but Christ is. In other words, if you are given a good job, if you're given success, if you're given money, if you are blessed with these things, the point is for you to have it and use it in such a way that it's evident to the world that that is not your treasure, Christ is. Our family is given to us, our friends are given to us so that we can live with them in a way that shows they are not our treasure, Christ is. All of these things that we look at ourselves and say, man, I've got this going for me. This is good in my life. When it compared to Christ, it's barely anything. Church, that's what it means to treasure Christ. Don't go sell your stuff. Don't go get rid of your family. Don't go you know, get rid of all your friends. But rather, relate to each one. Use each one so that it would be clear to everybody that Christ is your treasure. And here's a test to know if we're doing that. In each choice that we make, is it evident that Christ is our treasure? Is it evident that we're pointing to somebody else? I love the way Paul puts it. He says, not just that they're lost, he says they're rubbish, they're dung. Here's his goal. He treasures Christ so much. This is, this is his new goal in life. Not to pursue his performance, but it's to gain Christ through faith. Notice what he says next. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order. Why? That I might gain Christ. The willingness to lose everything to follow Christ is a hallmark of Christian faith. That's not something new. That's something that should mark each and every one of us. He says his, his goal is now to know Christ. That I may know Him, verse 10 says. 
That's the goal of salvation. Man, if you, if you walk away from the Christian faith and you don't know Jesus, you don't have that relationship with Him, then you haven't truly experienced the Christian faith. That's where it all comes together. That's where our joy in Him happens and we know Him. We know Him. What efforts are you making every day to know Him better? I had a conversation with one of our students at camp this past week, and uh, he said, you know, I'm committing to walk with the Lord more faithfully, and I just feel like I haven't been uh, doing the things that I should be doing, and I, you know, and he, he shared that he had made a commitment to do that, and I said, well, that's great. That's great. But the question is not, what are you going to do at camp? The question is going to be, how are you going to know him more and more after you leave here? And that's the question for all of us. How do we say that we know Him if we don't spend any time with Him? How do we say we know Him if we don't hear from Him in His Word? How do we say that we know Him if we're not praying? He doesn't just want to know Christ. He wants to know the power of His resurrection. He wants to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants that power to transform Him. He wants to be like Jesus in his suffering. That's going to happen when we know him. We're going to be like him. And that by any means possible, he says, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Despite Paul's unshakable assurance that he is going to make it to the end, he is still striving. Listen, church, we as Baptists believe in the eternal security of the believer. We believe that once a person is truly saved, we believe they are always saved. They're going to make it to the end. They're going to persevere. But that does not mean that we should stop striving. We can't say, I know Jesus already, so let me just stop here. I'm good right here. But we should be the kind of people that say, you know what? I know Jesus, and so now I want to know Him more. I've been married to Brittany almost eight years now, and I can tell you that I know her more now than I did the day that we said I do. And for anybody married in the room, that's, that's going to be the case for you as well. For anybody, maybe not in marriage, any kind of relationship at all, you know them more. Why? Because I, I wasn't just content when I said I do to say, you know what, Brittany, I, I, I know you now and I, I'm just going to hit the brakes there and I don't need to get to know you anymore. Nobody says that. And just like we as Christians, we come to know Jesus and we don't just say, you know, you know Jesus, I'm good to stay right here where I am. I don't need to know you anymore. I know all there is to know about you. But instead, what do we do? We strive. We have a goal in mind. I want to know Christ more. That's where our joy comes from. We don't pursue ourselves. We don't pursue our performance. We pursue knowing Him. And so... We should strive to rejoice and find our joy and contentment in Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. That's what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul. We do that by realizing what He has done for us apart from our works, apart from our performance. We do that by treasuring Christ, by knowing Him so that everything else just pales in comparison. I want to close with this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says that we are far too easily pleased 
This is what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. While infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. When we sell out for cheap joys, all we do to ourselves is we find that Lewis is right. We're just too easily pleased. So what do we need to do? Christian, what if you hear this morning and you say, I'm not rejoicing like that, like the Apostle Paul is. For you, I would encourage you, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. You stay seated, you stand up, you come to the altar, whatever you feel led to do. But examine your life. Examine each area of your life. And realize that He accepts you. Not based on your performance. And pray, beg, that He would be your delight. Ask Him for His help. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, once again, what we hold out to you is not some duty-filled religion. What we hold out to you is infinite joy, forgiveness, acceptance by God. So my question for you, if you're not a Christian here, will you lay down the treasures that you pursue to get the supreme treasure? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you, you feel that joy in Christ, I think your response in just a moment is to worship. In light of all that He's done for us, let's worship. Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, may we say like the Apostle Paul, I just want to know You more. I just want to know You more, Lord. I'm not content where I've been, and I want to know You more. And Lord, as we strive after You, as we strive to know You more, would You fill us with joy? Would You cause us to fulfill what He says to rejoice in You? And Lord, let us be creatures that realize that we fall short every day. And Lord, even in our falling short, help us to see that it's not based on our performance. It's not based on our report card, our spiritual health report card. It's based on what you have done on our behalf. That you suffered and died in our place. And that all that we need to be in good standing with you, Father, you give us in Christ. So help us to rejoice in Jesus' name.